Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to Are You For Real? My name is Tom, and with me as always is Grant. Howdy, partners. So, uh, here we are again. Uh, It is Sunday, May 3rd. We are slightly tardy in recording this episode. Um, There's been a lot of interesting changes in, well, all of our lives, I'm sure, but in mining grants in particular in terms of job changes and everything. So uh, just a heads up housekeeping type stuff for for you, our beloved listeners. Uh, We might be taking next week off. Uh, while we uh, address some some work work life type issues, uh, but Maybe who knows? Snafus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if not, then we'll um, then we'll be dropping another album next week. We might a- we might actually uh, have to switch our release dates from Sundays to uh, either Mondays or Tuesdays for these episodes, but that remains to be seen at this point. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, the podcast will still be going on, but there might be a couple delays in releasing some episodes. So um, once again, uh, just a big, big virtual hug to all of you out there who are listening. Um, This is a a tough time for all of us. We're, as I said, it's Sunday, May 3rd. We're still uh, very much uh, affected by COVID here in the United States. And we're all just trying to, trying our best to, to keep going on, to keep on keeping on. So I hope you guys are doing the same and I hope you all are happy and healthy as can be during these, uh, during these rough times. So, uh, with that said, Grant, I understand we have some UFO news. Is that what I understand? You betcha, man. Um, yeah. So, uh, Possibly the first edition of our new regular segment. We'll have to see how it goes, though. Um, and yeah, I just want to add, yeah, I'm I'm going to be working during our normal record times, and uh, yeah, I'm going to be working some odd hours. So uh, we're going to have to. That's going to be starting next week. So we just got to we got to figure out our schedules, as he said. But um, let's see. So yeah, a big story in the news. Actually, it was uh, it was pretty well covered by the mainstream news media, but um. It turns out that Joe Biden is actually an alien. Ay, ay, ay. No way. No, no. I, I can't. Why, why, I can't. why, 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 why? <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's actually an update on uh, one of the first topics that we covered in our uh, To the Stars Academy series of episodes. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure most of our listeners have seen it. But if not, you know, I wanted to go into it a little bit more. Um I don't actually think it's that revelatory, but uh, basically the U.S. military has confirmed that the three UFO or UAP videos originally released by To The Stars Academy really are from U.S. military vehicles and are, are real military records, basically. So they can they confirm that everything was legit with them, you know? I think, um, I, you know, and, and to that degree, I think it is revelatory. Maybe not revelatory, but... Um, uh, I guess it's I don't I don't want to say it's unprecedented in the United States, but it's highly unusual that yeah. they're just they're coming out and saying, yeah, this is this is from us. Uh, uh, these videos were shot by by U.S. military. Um, it's like they're trying to uh, uh, give the impression that they're being transparent 
um, which they are to a certain degree. But I'll bet there is. Um, I would be surprised if they don't if they don't uh, know more than they're actually saying. Right. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm, I'm going to go into it a little bit here. I've, I've included links in the show notes to a few articles from both Fox News and CNN that uh, cover the basic story and also go into a little more analysis and backstory on the topic. Um, also, if you aren't familiar with the videos themselves, I would highly recommend checking out our episode on the topics as we go into a lot of detail on them there. We um, sure do. We're, we're a little bit uh, we're a little green around the gills at that time. But hey, we all got to yeah. start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i thought mario jumped in there for a second but, uh, yeah, pill- no boy. Okay. <laughs> um yeah the uh yeah and, and you know we've said it before but i think for us it's one of the more compelling stories to come come out on this uh on this podcast at least and uh just in general i think it's one of the most uh compelling ufo stories um the uh well, anyway, uh, again, I don't necessarily think this it adds any real new information, but it is at least an official confirmation by the U.S. military. So so that is something, like you were saying. Um, yeah. I never really had any serious doubt myself that any of the videos were legitimate, um, especially considering all the eyewitness testimony that accompanied the videos. And I haven't really heard anyone disputing that the gun cam videos were faked or anything like that. Um, but the military doesn't really add any new analysis of the videos or new facts or anything. Um, they are just confirming that they are real. Um, this was actually confirmed by a member of the military of Department of Defense before, too, and I think I mentioned that. But um, I guess this is a little different because the military are also releasing the videos themselves. So I think that I think that's kind of the big deal is that the vid, you know, the military released their videos as opposed to to the stars releasing them and saying, right. hey, these are from the military, you know. Right. And, I, and, um, and, I'm, and just to echo you, Grant, I never had any doubt about the veracity of the videos or anything uh, personally. And this is kind of a safe I – th- I think this is kind of a, a safe thing for the for the U.S. military to do actually just to say, hey, yeah, you know, these are – these were shot by us. It doesn't really have them uh, – it's not that out there of a statement for them to do it, but it also kind of lets them – I don't think save face is the right word, but it kind of lets them show that, hey, um, we can be honest about about things when uh, the truth is is thrust in our face. So, <laughs> right. When you pull our pants down, we'll we'll show you everything. <laughs> they also uh, it's, it's I mean, you say transparency, but, you know, the latest incident on those videos was from 2014 so six years ago and then the other one was from 2004 i believe yeah um, so 16 years later they're like hey look at this yeah some possibly otherworldly craft flying around in in u.s airspace or whatever stay um, indoors folks just keep watching these ufos videos <laughs> stay indoors. right, right. <laughs> yeah maybe that's why they released them it's just to so people will sit at home and watch them all day um so, yeah, they're the same videos that To The Stars Academy released before, but without the To The Stars Academy watermark on them. Um, I thought it was interesting how the headlines differed between CNN and Fox News. Um, CNN reported the story under the headline, Pentagon Official, or, I'm sorry, Pentagon Officially Releases UFO Videos by Michael Conte. And um, Fox News under the headline, UFO Video? Pentagon Releases Footage of Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, but says it's not out of the ordinary by Luis Cassiano. 
Uh, both articles kind of cover the same ground and go into a little backstory with slightly different focus. But basically, the story is this announcement uh, taken from the Fox News story. Quote, after a thorough review, the department has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems and does not impinge on any subsequent investigations of military airspace incursions by unidentified aerial phenomena, the Pentagon spokes, uh, said sp Pentagon spokesperson Sugo. Uh, DOD is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos, Go added. The aerial phenomena observed in the video remains characterized as unidentified. End quote. And uh, mysteriously, the CNN article leaves the line, quote, the aerial phenomena observed in the video remains characterized as unidentified, end quote, out of their story. Uh, I imagine this line is where Fox got the, uh, the not out of the ordinary portion of its headline, as I didn't see anything else in the article to reinforce this idea. Uh, the Fox News story ends with some information about the president's reaction to these incidents as well. Quote, oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. President Trump said he was briefed on Navy pilots reported sightings of UFOs, but remained skeptical. Quote, I was struck in the last couple of weeks. We're reading more and more reports of Navy pilots seeing lots and lots of UFOs, ABC News, as George Stephanopoulos said to Trump during an interview in the Oval Office last year. Have you been briefed on that? What do you make of it? I want them to think whatever they think, Trump replied, referring to the Navy pilots. I did have one very brief meeting on it, but people are saying they're seeing UFOs. Do I believe it? Not particularly, end quote. Okay, wait. So he doesn't believe that people are actually seeing them, or he doesn't believe that UFOs are... Okay, I'm not going to try and get into his head right now. Let's, uh... Yeah, it doesn't... It, he basically said nothing. Um, yeah. I want them to believe... I want them to think whatever they think. So that's that's very helpful. Um, both articles also included a statement released by former Secretary Harry Reid on Twitter. Quote, I'm glad the Pentagon is finally releasing this footage, but it only scratches the surface of research and materials available. The U.S. needs to take a serious scientific look at, look at this and any potential national security implications. The American people deserve to be informed, end quote. That was Harry Reid that said that? Yeah, he uh, tweeted it. I think he's from Nevada. Yeah, he was actually we we talked about him a little yeah. bit. Yeah. He was the one that basically went to fund the secret black budget program. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. And it's run by his buddy. He's buddies with that Bigelow fellow. Okay. And they have a history in Nevada there. Um so it's just again, so hard to speculate before me. like Yeah, it's hard for me to keep track of all the names and everything and all the different shadow organizations. This is yeah. a shadowy world we're 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 living in Grant. Grant and I are just trying to be a lantern, a Coleman lantern, if you will, in this shadowy world of UFOs. I think we're in over our heads and over our budgets, man. There's a lot well, of money. I, well guess what, saying. dude? I got plenty of batteries for this lantern. So we'll just keep it burning. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't want to get into conspiracy or whatever, but it's like it's easy for Harry Reid to say, hey, people are interested in this. And then we need a serious scientific look at this. We need like 20 billion dollars to go over, you know, or whatever. Twenty million dollars, I think it was. Yeah, it's 20 million to, uh, to go over to my donor here, Robert Bigelow, who's basically set me up on a political career, whatever, you know. Um, well, to his credit, if I don't know. I, I feel like if they did unearth something, then Harry Reid would be the type to actually uh, let the public see it. 
Um, yeah, yeah. So to his credit, well, I don't, I don't, I don't I want to. Oh, go ahead. I want to discuss it a little further at the end here because I got something else to add to that. But um, let me go into a little bit more news here first. Um, beep, 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 or, beep, 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 beep. or we can we can just discuss it right now, actually, because it's I mean, yeah, this is conversational, I think. Um, yeah. So I was listening to this uh, this podcast I like called UFO Warning, uh, which is it's basically a guy talking into his phone, doing what we're doing and just like reading uh, UFO articles and kind of analyzing them. But he gets – I think I was telling you about this guy, right? Um, I don't, I'm not sure his name, but uh, he's kind of – he's he's kind of lost me a little bit with some of his beliefs. Like he's he's really bought into UFOs being real, and he's really into deep state conspiracy. And um, basically he thinks he the coronavirus is – yeah, yeah, exactly. He, I mean he's been getting angry about the coronavirus quarantines and – he, he kind of seems to theorize at first he thought it was that Atlas was going to come and, or that was like a spaceship or something. And, um, it was to get everyone, it was like a fake story or a hoax to get everyone into their house to not witness it. And now he's like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to rant on this guy, you know, but, uh, or dump on him. But, um, well, I do. If he doesn't think that the coronavirus is real, I'll take a big dump all over him, but that's just me. Yeah. It seems a little naive. Like he's, He's just going on and on about the alien problem, or but then saying that the coronavirus is non-existent. You know, um, he keeps he keeps bringing up the flu thing and whatever. I don't want to get into a big discussion on COVID nineteen or whatever, but uh, you know, but basically he thinks it's hard like, not actually, to. It's inescapable these days. Yeah, he basically thinks it's like a federal um, control experiment to see how well they can control people and and how they would react in an emergency and uh, get them in lockdown. And, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of, it's odd, but, uh, and, and he seems to theorize sometimes that it's just to get, keep people from looking up at the sky and seeing all the UFOs and stuff. But, uh, I don't know about that at all. Um, to me, it makes sense since we're running out of supplies and we're probably going to open everything back up when our hospitals are going to be overloaded or whatever. But, uh, Hey, that's just me. Um, but anyway, his big thing that he, he seems really upset that, um, you know, it's about time the military released these documents as opposed to having to go through a, a private company, you know, right. a, yeah. a profit, you know, a profit making company. Um, and he seems really upset about the watermarks that are on those videos, you know, but um, I don't know. Well, you know, I, uh, I I am in agreement with him there on uh thinking that there should be a lot more government transparency when it comes to things like this. I think um, that uh, in matters of, of extreme importance, like life, like the possibility of life on other planets, or um, if there are potentially scarier still, uh, is other countries flying like – super sophisticated drone technology over our airspace um that kind of stuff uh i can understand the need for a certain amount of um uh what do you call it uh restraint when it comes to releasing that but um at the same time i think there there does need to be a lot more transparency plus i mean i don't think they want other other nations to get their eyes on the targeting systems that you know american aircraft are using you know that's true um, um, on the other hand, 
I mean, I don't know how much other records there are of, of that kind of technology out there either. Um, but, um, I mean, on the other hand, I keep, I mean, this guy in particular from this podcast, UFO Warning, he's, he gets upset because, like, Luis Elizondo, who is part of the deep state, basically, is using backdoor channels to get this thing. But I, I don't I don't know if To The Stars Academy had to release them, if the public would even know about them. You know what I mean? Right. I don't see uh, I don't see the government just going, oh, hey, how's it going? Um, here's some neat UFO stuff for you to look at. I have to tip my hat to to the stars for kind of forcing their hand on that. I think maybe they maybe to the stars uh, releasing that generated enough um, demand or enough of a push for for them to release that stuff. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree with you if that's what you're saying that we you know if, and that's what the UFO warning guy is saying we probably never would have seen these things if the if a private company hadn't release them first right and uh because i mean, unless i'm misunderstanding the ufo warning guy but um he seems he seems to think that that i, mean, I don't know he doesn't seem to uh, acknowledge that that we might not be knowing about this stuff and I, I could be wrong about that maybe one of those videos was released beforehand um but i know i think david fraber he first started coming out with to the stars academy as well you know and, and his testimony is really the the most extraordinary yeah. thing out of all of them you know um, and all the other pilots. I know you didn't see it on the History Channel show, but it. Anyway, go go to, to the go to our uh, our Two to the Stars Academy video series and uh, and check it out in our earlier episodes if if you haven't heard it because we we talk about it a lot. So, um, but let's yeah let's keep moving here. So uh, so both news sources also had accompanying articles to their stories on the DoD release the day of the article. I'm sorry, I'm like in my head now, but uh. I was going to say, I think I may have misinterpreted the UFO warning guys to give him credit. Um, he may have just been more upset that the, you know, that the military just isn't releasing this information to the public that, um, as Bob Lazar kind of said or whatever, you know, like this is essential information. It shouldn't be a secret. And that's why he said he was coming forward with it, you know, um, as opposed to someone having to sneak it out or a private for-profit company having to sneak it out or whatever like that or using back channels or anything like that, you know. Yeah, which which if that's the point he was making and I didn't pick up on it, then that that is a good point. But um, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> sure. Um, so both news sources also had accompanying accompanying articles to their stories on the DOD release the day of the article with CNN running an article going into more detail on Harry Reid's interest in the topic and Fox running a story on the public interest in the UFO subject by Chris Siashia entitled. Americans overwhelmingly want UFO X-Files to be made public. Here's a small excerpt from that article. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, as the UK government gets set to make its classified UFO files available to the public, the majority of Americans want the US government to do the same. And that's interesting right there. I didn't I wasn't aware the UK government's going to make all of its classified UFO files available. I was not aware of that either. Oh, but I, I think smokes. Rendlesham. I mean, well, wait a minute. Rendlesham happened on U.S. Well, yeah. Well, they might have some information on it. Um, looks like Tom's sniffing glue in the in the monitor. I'm not <laughs> having hand sanitizer right here. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm again, sorry. and, and again, that was very distracting of me. But I had this overwhelming urge to use hand sanitizer right now. And <laughs> as you can tell, we're deaf. We're we're on Skype right now. And uh, yeah. anyway. 
I got a new mic here, so hopefully it's working a little better. It's not the best. It's an old, old rocks. Well, it looks like the brand is Guitar Hero. Oh, Guitar Hero, yeah. So it, yeah. if that tells you the age of it, then, uh, but it's a USB mic and it, it's working all right. Spitting out rhymes that I like on the mic. Um, so it goes with your gamer headgear. There, yes. <laughs> which I got to yeah. put on Instagram this week. I got some pictures of it now. Um, so anyway, back to this. Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to say if the UK says it's going to make its classified UFO, UFO files available to the public, like, okay like maybe they'll release some but maybe the real classified ones they don't you know yeah that's always that's always in the back of your mind is when they do stuff like that uh when they when they release things uh is it really all there is uh that who's to know who's to say yeah i don't think so charlie (laughs) but uh maybe i don't know it'll be interesting so um according to consumer research firm pipslay Pipple say, um, sixty-one. P i p l s a y. Pipes lay. P i p l s a y. Pipple say. Oh, people say. People say. Week. Um, New York. Pipple say. <laughs> anyway, sixty-one percent of survey respondents want the U.S. government to declassify the country's so-called X-files. A similar percentage, fifty-eight percent, said they believe the U.S.O. government, the U.S. government, actively investigates extraterrestrial life. Uh, breaking down the survey further, sixty-three percent of millennials and those in Generation X said they want the U.S. to release the UFO files, while thirty-nine percent of those questions said that they believe Area 51 is a place where secret alien missions are conducted. Some 34% of respondents said Area 51 was just an aircraft testing ground, while 27% said they were not sure. Uh, perhaps surprisingly, only 27% of those surveyed by pip- people say uh, said they believe UFOs are real. 25% said they are misidentified objects, while 9 and 5% of respondents said they are hoaxes or delusions, respectively. The remaining 34% said they were not sure. The research firm surveyed 30,741 Americans to come up with their findings. In January, the British government said it would release reported UFO sightings by the uh, British public. The Royal Air Force ran a UFO unit for 50 years, but shut it down in 2009 after it came to the conclusion that none of the reports offered evidence of a real threat, end quote. Um, oh, Oh, this is still in the article, sorry. In a September 2019 Gallup poll, Americans said they are becoming increasingly skeptical that the government knows more than it is letting on as it pertains to UFOs, and an ex-punk rocker may be the one who opened the proverbial Pandora's box. That's the end of the article. Again, all the full stories are linked in the show notes if anyone wants more details from the articles. Uh, but this brings us to our final piece of news from this mysterious ex-punk rocker, who I believe is Mr. Tom DeLong. Oh, Tom God. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got I got something else. Sorry for this long news segment. It's going to be probably the majority of our episode this week. But um, on April 30th, I received an email from To The Stars Academy with an update about their Illustro Rapid Response Display System. And here's an excerpt from the uh, website. And again, the link's there. Yeah. It's, anyway, here's the information here. Um, to The Stars Academy is committed to mobilizing advanced technology that can potentially benefit benefit society today as much as the generations of tomorrow through our cooperative marketing agreement with true clear global 
Our goal is to bring high-impact solutions like the Illustro Rapid Response Display System to federal, state, and local agencies to help the ever-evolving efforts to effectively engage citizens and communicate critical information. Every Illustro vehicle is equipped with three sides of high-definition LED screens that can transform into a single 35-foot-wide display suspended 18 feet in the air. The directional billboards can quickly be deployed in virtually any environment. The 4x4 heavy-duty system is compliant with Department of Defense specifications to make it highly adaptable for a wide range of missions in order to deliver potentially life-saving information. This includes real-time health crisis instructions, emergency information, humanitarian relief operations, and emergency management, end quote. So, so uh, it's a billboard drone. Yeah, it's basically, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is useful, right? So this, first off, this sounds pretty useful for rock concerts, right? Like a portable uh, display, large display screen, large yeah. video screen, basically. Um, it just makes me think of the mall back in the 90s when, like, the, I don't know if you know uh, Parkway Plaza. When it I sure had, do. They had a huge like collection of a bunch of monitors together, and it's like, wow. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me think of that, but so yeah, this is basically a huge LED billboard on a screen or on a on a truck, you know, which um oh obviously. Oh okay, never mind. I thought it was a drone because it was suspended 18 feet in the air. No, no, I think it's it is literally just a billboard on a four by four heavy duty system, you know, compliant with the Department of Defense. So sounds useful for rock concerts. You can pull that up and next to the stage anywhere, you know. Um, and uh, you remember the news about they they kept on touting that they had a government DOD contract. Yes. Um, this was like, what, six months ago or so, maybe maybe even before that. Um, so that's what it was for. I'm thinking so. And I heard that on another <laughs> podcast where, you know, on a UFO podcast or whatever, where they were talking about, I don't remember which one. And, and that's what the guy said. He's like, I think this is just about like this monitor system that they have a patent on or something like that. Even though it, to the stars Academy was definitely pitching it. Like they're working with the DOD. Well, I guess they, I, I just felt like it was implied like, yeah, we're working on space age material. Yeah. That's what I thought uh, too. No, oh, I, I definitely got that impression as well. I mean, maybe LED screens came from UFOs or something like that, but um, now you're talking my language. <laughs> what if <laughs> yeah. LED technology straight from uh, straight from uh, let's see here, what would be the most likely? Uh, ser- probably from Sirius, I would say. Yeah. Um, Where do you think LED technology would come from? If well, not, especially with the, with this application, because of the um, I don't know, man. I mean. I don't think it seems to have much to do with UFOs unless like all of our computer technology came from UFOs back in the day. But again, that's not really cutting edge. Like I think another company could have made this without any space age materials. Um, yeah. Unless element one, what is it? Element one thirty one or whatever the, wait, what's the, what's the Lazar element? Uh, I forget one. Was it one? Uh, let me see here. One thirteen maybe. I think there was element a one fifteen. 115, okay. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, if that if these things were using element 115 as a power source or something, that would be pretty sick. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I can see the military usefulness of this, you know, like even for like COVID. That's that's what they were pitching it as, is where they could go into societies or uh, I don't know what you call it, um, communities that don't have internet or anything, and they can broadcast information about 
social distancing and sanitization and stuff. Um, I could see that being useful in battle zones or, or for like crowd control or anything like that, you know? Um, yeah, like Burning Man. Not, I think that would be really of, useful at Burning Man. <laughs> yeah, and Burning Man. Which I don't, and Burning Man just to, just to freak people out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. That just seems crazy that that's, that's like their big thing. Like, so far, To the Stars hasn't done much except release that's those a, videos. Well, it seems that, like, you, you know, know, to be fair, the, the video release I think was pretty neat. But uh, if this if if this billboard thing is is uh, is the big uh, the big reveal, I'm underwhelmed. I'm very underwhelmed, Grant. I mean, it seems like, yeah, they're just trying to move towards towards government contracts with the military, honestly. And that that doesn't seem to go hand hand in hand with uh, releasing information outside of the military for the public or whatever. And and this thing, I think, reads like an investor advertisement or something you know um yeah anyway it's just kind of a kind of disappointing but yeah cool like they've got portable led monitors that's great they could, they could have a rock concert of birding man like you said um so uh so with these government uh releases recently i i figured our topic today would be appropriate um, this story is about a large wave of UFO sightings over Washington, D.C. in 1952, and it's always interested me, but I never really looked too closely into it. Um, have you seen that iconic photo with, of the White House with strange lights in the air over it from this incident before? Uh, I've seen photos of, yeah, I, w- what I assume is this in- uh, incident. And, uh, you know, this is 1952, so it's what? Five years after Roswell, four or five years after Roswell. I always like to put everything in pre-Roswell, post-Roswell terms in terms of American UFO sightings. So yeah, yeah, PR and AR is what. It is. I don't know if there are any P. Well, maybe like we had some Native American sightings. Native Americans had some sightings. Or yeah, but yeah, I'm not really sure too. I, I mean, that kind of kicked it off. Yeah. Oh, um, you know what? I think there are some actual like floating airship steampunky type sightings from like the 1800s. That's definitely be, I, that, might, that might be an interesting topic to get into as well at some point. Yeah, there's a story about um about like I think it was the Romans army seeing like flying shields above them as well. Um, yeah, lots of interesting stories like that actually. And you're right about those airships. I, I always kind of wanted to look into those. They're, it's kind of interesting, but it's. I mean, all these stories from 1952 are hard enough to get really like interesting information about. You know, it's all just speculate speculation, basically. Um, right. I actually, I have heard of a couple crashes or abduct. I I don't know if Betty and Barney Hill were before that or were they after that. It might have been. Uh, I think that was post Roswell, but let me check. Yeah, but please continue with the uh the Washington D.C. sighting. I know there I know there was definitely a reported like alien ship crash before Roswell though, which uh might have to get into. I have a book on it called M O four one, I think it's called. But um anyway. Betty Betty and Barney Hill, the uh the the incident was uh nineteen sixty one. Okay. Way after. I think we've had this conversation before yeah. too. Yeah. Um but I guess that was like the first abduction kind of right. Not crash or anything. But anyway. Um so yeah that I that photograph is pretty impressive. If you're picturing the one where it has like, like seven like kind of triangle mm-hmm. lights with to the left of uh, the the White House dome, um, the photograph seems pretty impressive. But unfortunately, it doesn't appear to be what it seems. Um, we'll get into 
to that more later, but the overall story is still pretty interesting. Um, let me see. So from Wikipedia, the uh, the 1952 Washington D.C. UFO incident, also known as the Washington Flap, the Washington National Airport sightings, or the invasion of Washington, was a series of unidentified flying objects reported from July 12th to July 29th, 1952, over Washington D.C. The most publicized sightings took place on consecutive weekends, July 19th through 20th and July 26th through 27. Uh, UFO historian Curtis Peebles called the incident the climax of the 1952 UFO flap. Never before or after did Project Blue Book and the Air Force undergo such a tidal wave of UFO reports. Yeah, so I think 1952 is a big year for for UFOs. Mm. They uh, they were hot. Um, <laughs> so the events of the the 19th and 20th. This is like the morning of the 20th, basically. Um, at 11:40 p.m. on Saturday, July 19th, 1952, Edward Nugent, an air traffic controller at Washington National Airport. The Nuge? Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. Ted Nugent saw this thing? Well, Ed Nugent. It's pretty close, though. All right. It might uh, not be Theodore Nugent, but okay. Anyway, please. The the madman of municipal city. <laughs> uh, so to, the so municipal city madman. <laughs> so um, he's an air traffic controller at Washington National Airport, which is today the Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport, uh, spotted seven objects on his radar the objects were located 15 miles south-southwest of the city. No known aircraft were in the area, and the objects were not following any established flight paths. Nugent's superior, Harry Barnes, a senior air traffic controller at the airport, watched the objects on Nugent's radar scope. He later wrote, We knew immediately that a very strange situation existed. Their movements were completely radical compared to those of ordinary aircraft. Or he's probably like, Their movements were completely radical! <laughs> Totally rad. It gave them cat scratch fever. <laughs> so Barnes had two controllers check Nugent's radar. They found it was working normally. Barnes then called National Airport's radar-equipped control tower. Uh, the controllers there, Howard Coughlin and Joe Zacco, said that they also had unidentified blips on their radar screen and that they had seen a bright light hovering in the sky. It took off, zooming away at incredible speed. Coughlin asked Zacco, did you see that? What the beep was that? He says the H word there. And then at this point, other hey, objects. Not on this podcast. Nope. All right. Even though I almost slipped up earlier there. But uh, I'm going to have to try and edit it. Um, at this point, other objects appeared in all sectors of the radar scope. When they moved over the White House and the United States Capitol, Barnes called Andrews Air Force Base, located 10 miles from National Airport. Although Andrews reported that they had no unusual objects on their radar, an airman soon called the base's control tower to report the sighting of a strange object. Airman William Brady, who was in the tower, then saw an object which appeared to be like an orange ball of fire trailing a tail. It was like unlike it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. As Brady tried to alert the other personnel in the tower, the strange object took off at an unbelievable speed. That's a quote. Uh, one on one of National Airport's runways, S.C. Pierman, a Capital Airlines pilot, was waiting in the cockpit of his DC-4 for permission to take off. After spotting what he believed to be a meteor, he was told that the control tower's radar had detected unknown objects closing in on his position. Pierman observed six objects, white, tailless, fast-moving lights, over a 14-minute period. Pierman was in radio contact with Barnes during his sighting, and Barnes later related that 
Quote, each sighting coincided with a pip we could see near his plane. When he reported that the light streaked off at a high speed, it disappeared on our scope, end quote. So that's pretty interesting, right? A bunch of eyewitnesses. It sure is, and it's over a 14-minute span of time, which is, which is uh, that in itself must have been like an eternity uh, when you've got – and this is, this is over the White House, right? This is – is this over um, – yeah, I mean it's it's over the airport, so I mean yeah, it's over DC, you know. So. Okay, which is I mean I'm sure even back then there was super restricted airspace, like did you know right. even even when uh, well I, I don't think flight was in its infancy at that time, but it uh, it was still um, we were we were maybe prepubescent when it comes to flights. <laughs> Well, that's that's interesting because I was going to bring that up and it's going to come up, but radar was still pretty prepubescent at the time too. You know, it was in its yeah. infancy. But um, still, you're getting radar contact and and eyes, you know, pilots on the ground are seeing these things and saying, yeah, I don't know what these are. You know, so I think that's pretty interesting. Um, but at uh, Andrews Air Force Base, meanwhile, the control tower personnel were tracking on radar what some thought to be unknown objects, but others suspected, and in one instance, were able to prove were simply stars and meteors. However, Staff Sergeant Charles Davenport observed an orange-red light to the south. The light, quote, would appear to stand still, then make an abrupt change in direction and altitude. This happened several times, end quote. At one point, both radar centers at National Airport and the radar at Andrews Air Force Base were tracking an object hovering over a radio beacon. The object vanished in all three radar centers at the same time. At 3 a.m., shortly before two United States Air Force F-94 Starfire jet fighters from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware arrived over Washington, all of the objects vanished from the radar at National Airport. However, when the jets ran low on fuel and left, the objects returned, which convinced Barnes that the UFOs were monitoring radio traffic and behaving accordingly. The objects were last detected by radar at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, that makes it sound like uh, whatever these things were, they were sentient, uh, whether they were... um Super sophisticated, uh, possibly proto drone technology back then, uh, or uh, I mean, honestly, it sounds kind of similar to the Tic Tacs. You know, I don't know what they're what yeah they're like, but um, yeah, yeah, right. it's crazy. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I I've said it before. The fact that this is reported by uh, by military people doesn't in itself make it make it credible but i think when it comes to matters like this it tends to lend credibility to it um yeah. especially people who are experienced aviators who are seeing things and unable to identify them um and I'm especially sure, any, any military air force is going to be trained to like try and recognize what they're seeing you know so sure sure um which is why i think it's laughable a lot of times when people try and uh, people who are have a predetermined uh, outcome in mind try and say, hey, this was obviously a star. This was obviously a meteor. But when you have someone who has been entrusted with uh, extremely expensive military equipment, um, even though they're human beings who can make mistakes, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt when they say, Hey, I'm not, I don't know what that was, but it sure wasn't a star. It sure wasn't a meteor, that kind of stuff. Right. 
So the publicity and Air Force reaction, uh, the sightings of July 1920 or 19 through 20, uh, 1952 made front page headlines in newspapers around the nation. A typical example was the headline from the Cedar Rapids Gazette in Iowa. It read saucer swarm over Capitol in large black type. By coincidence, U.S. Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, the supervisor of the Air Force's Project Blue Book investigation into UFO sightings, was in Washington at the time. However, he did not learn about the sightings until Monday, July 21st, when he read the headlines in a Washington area newspaper. After talking with intelligence officers at the Pentagon about the sightings, Ruppelt spent several hours trying to obtain a staff car so he could travel around Washington to investigate the sightings, but was refused as only generals and senior colonels could use staff cars. He was told that he could rent a taxi cab with his own money, but by this point, Ruppelt was so frustrated that he left Washington and flew back to Blue Book's headquarters at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Are you telling me he couldn't have gotten like a rickshaw or something? He couldn't get somebody to pull him around in a rickshaw around D.C.? Come on. I don't know. It's the military. They're probably pulling rank on him and stuff. Uh, Damn. You can get a taxi if you want to. But uh, upon returning to Dayton, Ruppelt spoke with an Air Force radar specialist, Captain Roy James who felt that unusual weather conditions could have caused the unknown radar targets. All right, and then uh, the events of July 26th through 27th, which that's going to be a week later, right? Yeah. At 8.15 p.m. on Saturday, July 26th, 1952, a pilot and stewardess on a National Airlines flight into Washington observed some strange lights above their plane. Within minutes, both radar centers at National Airport and the radar at Andrews Air Force Base were tracking more unknown objects. U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant Charles E. Cummings visually observed the objects at Andrews. He later said that these lights did not have the characteristics of shooting stars. There was no trails. They traveled faster than any shooting star I've ever seen. End quote. Um, Meanwhile, Albert M. Chop, the press spokesman for Project Blue Book, arrived at National Airport and due to security concerns, denied several reporters' requests to photograph the radar screens. He then joined the radar center personnel. By this time, 9.30 p.m., the radar center was picking up unknown objects in every sector. At times, the objects traveled slowly. At other times, they reversed direction and moved across the radar scope at speeds calculated up to 7,000 miles per hour. Oh, my God. <laughs> at 11.30. Seven, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. 7,000. 7,000 7, Wow. Yeah. Um... At 11.30 p.m., two U.S. Air Force F-94 Starfire jet fighters from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware arrived over Washington. Captain John McHugo, the flight leader, was vectored towards the radar blips but saw nothing despite repeated attempts. However, his wingman, Lieutenant William Patterson, did see four white glows and chased them. He later said that I tried to make contact with the bogeys below 1,000 feet. I was at my maximum speed. I ceased chasing them because I saw no chance of overtaking them. According to Albert Chop, when ground control asked Patterson if he saw anything, Patterson replied, I see them now and they're all around me. What should I do? And nobody answered because we didn't know what to tell him. Um, after midnight on July 27th, U.S. Air Force Major Dewey Fournay, Project Blue Book's liaison at the Pentagon, and Lieutenant John Holcomb, a United States Navy radar specialist, arrived at the radar center in National Airport. During the night, Lieutenant Holcomb received a call from the Washington National Weather Station. They told him that a slight temperature inversion was present over the city. But uh, Holcomb felt that the inversion was not nearly strong enough to explain the good and solid returns on the radar scopes. Fournay, or Fournette, um, 
relayed that all those present in the radar room were convinced that the targets were most likely caused by solid metallic objects. Hmm. Wow. There had been uh, weather targets on the scope, too, he said. But this was a common occurrence with the controllers. Or I'm sorry, this was a common con- occurrence, and the controllers, quote, were paying no attention to them. Two more F-94s from Newcastle Air Force Base were scrambled during the night. One pilot saw nothing unusual. The other pilot saw a white light, which vanished when he moved towards it. Quote, unquote, vanished. Um, additionally, civilian planes flying into Washington reported seeing strange glowing objects in places where the radar was getting blips. As on July 20th, the sightings and unknown radar returns ended at sunrise. So there are tons of different radars that are that are um, uh, that are experiencing this, right? This is not just radar equipment at one place. This is right. This is these are radars from uh, multiple locations, and uh, like we were saying, I'm sure radar was in its prepubescent phase <laughs> at that time. So it there it gives. Um, it kind of raises a suspicion that maybe there was a radar malfunction uh, if there was just one, uh, if, if it was only Adams Air Force Base that, that that picked this stuff up. But if there are multiple places that are picking this stuff up, and they're all picking up roughly the same thing, uh, I tend to uh, to believe it. Yeah, and it looks like both of them, I think both instances were caught by, by two different radars, you know? Yeah. Plus, you got a lot of a visual confirmation. Yeah, too. the visual stuff in and like I, I've said before, when you take all of this in in the conglomerate, you know, in the aggregate, uh, then it, it, I, I think it's pretty convincing, man. Yeah. Well, um, well, that goes on to the uh, you know, so that's the incident. There's a White House concern and CIA interest. Um, the sightings also made front page headlines. <clears throat> Or these second sightings, and uh, led President Harry Truman to have his Air Force aide call Ruppelt and ask for an explanation of the sightings and unknown radar returns. Truman listened to the conversation between the two men on a separate phone, but did not ask questions himself. Ruppelt, remembering the conversation he had with Captain James, told the president's assistant that the sightings might have been caused by a temperature inversion in which a layer of warm, moist air covers a layer of cool, dry air closer to the ground. This condition can cause radar signals to bend and give false returns. However, Ruppelt had not yet interviewed any of the witnesses or conducted a formal investigation. <clears throat> yeah, I don't uh, think that would explain the visual stuff. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, maybe swamp gas? I don't know. <laughs> um, CIA historian Gerald Haynes, in his 1997 history of the CIA's involvement with UFOs, also mentioned Truman's concern. A massive buildup of sightings over the United States in 1952, especially in July, alarmed the Truman administration. On 19 and 20 July, radar scopes at Washington National Airport and Andrews Air Force Base tracked mysterious blips. On 27 July, the blips reappeared. The CIA would react to the 1952 wave of UFO reports by forming a special study group within the Office of Scientific Intelligence and Office of Current Intelligence to review the situation. Edward Taus reported for the group that most UFO sightings could be easily explained. Nonetheless, he recommended that the agency continue monitoring the problem. Uh, the CIA's concern with the issues would lead to the creation in January 53 of the Robertson panel. And um, basically the rest of it, it goes, it goes into the Air Force explanation. Um, 
so to to calm public anxiety over the wave of UFO reports and answer the news media's questions about the sightings and hopefully to slow down the numbers of UFO reports being sent to the Blue Book, which were clogging normal intelligence channels, uh, UF, or, uh, Air Force Major Generals John Samford, the U.S. Air Force Director of Intelligence, and Roger Ramey, the U.S. Air Force Director of Operations, held a well-attended press conference at the Pentagon on July 29, 1952. <clears throat> it was the largest Pentagon press conference since World War II. Uh, press stories called Samford and Ramey the Air Force's top two uh, or two top UFO experts. Samford was heavily influenced by Captain Roy James, and um, in the show notes, I actually have a video, a link to YouTube of of the video of this press conference. It's it's pretty crazy. It looks like an old movie awesome. the way he talks and stuff. Um, it's like, yeah, it's, it's unreal. Like, I only watched a small part of it, but I was like, is this? Is this actually a movie or is this real? But uh, I think it's real. Is it um, a newsreel type thing? Yeah, it, it's kind of it's strange. It has, like, was over Washington. <laughs> I mean, I think broadcast television was in its infancy at the time too. You know, but cool. uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, so uh, Sanford was heavily influenced by Captain Roy James, who had discussed the sightings with him earlier in the day and who also spoke at the conference. Sanford declared that the visual sightings over Washington could be explained as misidentified aerial phenomena such as stars or meteors. Sanford also stated that the unknown radar targets could be explained by temperature inversion which was present in the air over Washington on both nights the radar returns were reported. Uh, in addition, Sanford stated that the unknown radar contacts were not caused by solid material objects and therefore posed no threat to national security. In response to a question as to whether the Air Force had recorded similar UFO radar contacts prior to the Washington incident, Sanford said that there had been hundreds of such contacts where Air Force fighter interceptions had taken place, but stated they were all fruitless. The conference proved to be successful in getting the press off our backs, quote, Rupert later wrote. So that seems to be the thing. And again, I think we've discussed Really? People were trying to get the press off their backs even then? Even <laughs> 70 years ago? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Um, the, uh, <laughs> um, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, just blanked out. Um, I got distracted trying to think of a movie reference of like the press being annoying. All I could come up with is like Batman and, and Eckhart or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, that was a lieutenant, police lieutenant, right? Is it? Is that when he was like, no comment? Yeah. Or was it, you could quote me on that. Okay. Um, I forget what he says. I think it's something that we can't repeat on this podcast. But anyway, um, the conference proved to be successful in, in getting the press off their backs, our backs. But um, yeah, okay. So what I was thinking, though, was, um, I mean, again, it sounds like uh, what what is the military to do if they need to broadcast to the public that they have everything under control but there's these things that they just can't really like they can see them they can track them but they can't get close to them or engage them in any they way can't explain uh, what they are they can't uh i here here's the fundamental truth if aliens come down here and they want to destroy us they want to destroy our planet and they want to take us over there is literally nothing we can do about that the yeah. technological at this is so significant that there's literally nothing we could do we could try and dig in like caves and live like morlocks and hide but 
even that I think would be unsuccessful against an actual invading alien force, which is why I think that any kind of resistance would be 100% futile on our part. All we can do is just hope that they're benevolent. Yeah, and luckily, if these things are real alien visitors, then they do seem somewhat benevolent, but maybe a little ominous. Um, but, uh, maybe they're indifferent. Maybe they're just watching us, and they're like, God, these people are so lame. Like, we can't. <laughs> I mean, do you think the U.S. military would, um, like, say these do happen all the time? They're like, yeah, we know something's out there. We can't engage them. Like, what would they do? Would they just ignore it after a while if it doesn't... I mean, that would be the logical, right? If it's like, this has always been going on since we've been in the air. But, well, but um, they, don't I think, I think, they don't seem to pose any threat, and we can't engage them. They're, we have no control over the situation, so we're just... Well, I think there would be a benefit to them releasing that to the public because there are incredibly smart people out here who are not uh, government employees who may have an interest in the phenomenon and could actually chip in and say, hey, this might be what's happening. What you're looking at there is probably identifiable, and here's what it is. It's probably X, Y, or Z. Um, And if you kind of outsource everything, not necessarily privatize the, um, the UFO research industry, but just kind of... Uh, at least make it so that um, there's as many eyes in the sky as possible and there's as many uh, brains uh, tackling the problem as possible. Because uh, if, 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 the, if the government, say, releases a video and there happens to be a guy from, I don't know, middle of nowhere somewhere, or even like a metropolitan area who goes, look um, – this this same thing uh, happened to me, so it's here also. I saw something just like that. And by the way, uh, you know, here here are some thoughts as to what it could be. So, like I said, I think it's basically that was that was a very long winded way of saying uh, the more brains that are tackling a project uh, is generally a good thing in terms of input to uh, trying to find a resolution. Yeah, I, I mean, basically they need to get Jeremy Corbell on it, and he's gonna he's gonna tie this up in a little bow. Oh dear, he's gonna he's gonna t- he's gonna tie it up in a uh, very long winded and uh, unnecessarily complicated bow, but an ornate a huge ornate bow. Yeah, um, I forgot to mention that about uh, um, Alberto, uh, the guy that wrote us last week. Um, Shout out to Alberto. That was another thing he said. He's like, I totally agree with you guys about Corbell. Like, his heart's in the right place, but he kind of just gets in his own way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agreed, man. Agreed. I think he's just, uh, he can't resist the lure of being on camera himself. So, right. Um, so, you know, among the witnesses who supported Sanford's explanation was the crew of a B-25 B- uh, bomber which had been flying over Washington during the sightings of July 26 and 27th. The bomber was vectored several times by National Airport over unknown targets on the radar, airport's radar scopes, yet the crew could see nothing unusual. Finally, as a crew member related, quote, the radar had a target which turned out to be the Wilson Line steamboat trip to Mount Vernon. The radar was sure as heck picking up the steamboat, end quote. He didn't say heck. Um, Air Force Captain Harold May was in the radar center at Andrews Air Force Base during the sightings of July 19th through 20th. Upon hearing that National Airport's radar had 
out, excuse me, uh, upon hearing that National Airport's radar had picked up an unknown object heading in his direction, May stepped outside and saw, quote, a light that was changing from red to orange to green to red again. At times it dipped suddenly and appeared to lose altitude, end quote. However, May eventually concluded that he was simply seeing a star that was distorted by the atmosphere and that its movement was an illusion. Um, and uh, and then at 3 a.m. on July 27th, an Eastern Airlines flight over Washington was told that an unknown object was in the vicinity. The crew could see nothing unusual. They were told the object had moved directly behind their plane. They began a sharp turn to try to see the object, but were told by National Airport's radar center that the object had disappeared when they began their turn. Hmm. So. Well, that would in- yeah, that would once again indicate that I guess whatever was following them, if there was something following them, had knowledge. Of uh, or, or was sentient in a way. Well, what if they had? I mean, what if these objects had lights that they could just turn off and they could just fly around in the dark too? I mean, would you be able to see anything? I don't know. Ooh, good point. Good point. If they have uh, some kind of technology that allows them to, uh, you know, maneuver without any kind of any light at all. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, the uh, again, it goes on that. The uh, the CAAs, which is certification, the Air Commerce Act created an aeronautic branch. Anyway, um, something to do with technical development and evaluation center did an analysis of the radar center's sightings. Uh, their conclusion was that a temperature inversion had been indicated in almost every instance when the unidentified radar targets or visual objects had been reported. Um, it goes into some more stuff, basically talking about temperature inversions. Um, and then in 2002, Philip Class, if you, we all know him, mm-hmm. he's very popular in the UFO community. Oh, uh, Phil. He told a reporter that, quote, radar technology in 1952 wasn't sophisticated enough to filter out many ordinary objects, such as flocks of birds, weather balloons, or temperature inversions, end quote. Did he say it in that voice? Please tell me he did. <laughs> I, I imagine so. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, the report had added that, quote, UFO proponents argue that even the even then seasoned controllers could differentiate between cur- spurious targets and solid metallic metallic objects. Class disagrees. It may be that we had we it may be that, quote, we had two dumb controllers in National Airport on those nights. Class added that the introduction of digital filters in the 1970s led to a steep decline in UFO sightings on radar. Well, next we'll move into some uh, criticisms of the Air Force explanation. Um, So almost from the moment of General Sanford's press conference, eyewitnesses, UFO researchers, and Air Force personnel came forward to criticize the temperature inversion mirage explanation. Uh, Captain Ruppelt, or Ruppelt, Let's take a vote right now so I don't keep guessing here. Do you think it's Rupelt or Rupelt? I think it's RuPaul. RuPaul, Captain Captain RuPaul. RuPaul. Uh, R-U-P-P-E-L-T. I'll say say Rupelt. Rupelt. Captain Rupelt noted that. Rupelt. Rupelt? Rupelt. Okay. Captain Rupelt. Now RuPaul. (laughs) Captain Rupelt. (laughs) No, I'm not doing RuPaul. I gotta respect this guy. He served our country well. That's true. Um, Captain Ruppelt noted that Major Fournay and Lieutenant Holcomb 
who disagreed with the Air Force's explanation, were not in attendance at Sanford's press conference. Ruppelt himself discovered that hardly, uh, quote, hardly a night passed in June, July, and August in 1952 that there wasn't a inversion in Washington. Yet the slow-moving, solid radar targets appeared on only a few nights, end quote. Hmm. So, yeah, he's saying that's a I'm, – I'm sure you understand what he's saying. Yes. He meant temperature, temperature inversion, so um, – yeah, that does seem a little fishy there. Uh, according to a story printed by INS, the United States Weather Bureau also disagreed with the temperature inversion hypothesis. The official stating that, quote, such an inversion ordinarily would appear on a radar screen as a steady line rather than as single objects as were sighted on the airport, airport uh, radar, radar scope. And the INS is the International News Service. For those who don't know, like me. Um, also, according to Ruppelt, when he was able to interview the radar and control tower personnel at Washington National Airport, not a single person agreed with the Air Force explanation. Michael Worth- Wertheimer, a researcher for the government-funded Condon Report, investigated the case in 1966. He found that the radar witnesses still disputed the Air Force explanation, but that did not stop the report from agreeing with the temperature inversion mirage explanation. Ruppel related that on July 27th, the control tower at Washington National had called the control tower at Andrews Air Force Base and notified them that their radar had an unknown object just south of the Andrews control tower, directly over the Andrews Air Force Base radio range station. According to Ruppelt, when the Andrews control tower personnel looked, they all saw a, quote, a huge fiery orange sphere, end quote, hovering over the range station. When Ruppelt interviewed the tower personnel several days later, they insisted that they had been mistaken and had merely seen a bright star. However, when Ruppelt checked an astronomical chart he found that there were no bright stars over the station that night and that he had quote heard from a good source that the tower men had been persuaded a bit end quote by superior officers to claim that their sighting was merely a star i wonder if they got persuaded by superior benjamin franklin and you know it's all about the benjamins dude benjamin Uh, franklin does a lot of talking or, you know, there's also just the old strong arm tactic of saying, hey, you're going to lose your job unless you toe the line here. Yeah. I just want to bring something else up real quick while we're on the subject here. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when we're talking about meteors and, and bright stars and that kind of stuff, um, you know, we've all – I can't say all of us have, but I know there have been some really neat videos that have come out, I think, from Russia – of people who had uh, dash cams in their car when there was like a meteorite that right. came flashing down. So that kind of stuff, uh, when you see it, it is extraordinary. And it's very, um, you know, it's shocking. You, you stop whatever you're doing to look at something like that. But at the same time, when you see, when you see a meteor or some kind of, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, wait, we're losing, we're losing you here. Much better it Wait, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? You copy? Sure, sure. Uh, where, out. where? Sure. Where did you lose uh, me at? When you see something like that. Okay. Um. Yeah. So when you when you see an astronomical event like that, you kind of uh, you're shocked by it, but you know that you're witnessing an astronomical event. I mean, right. like, and in the 1950s, people were 
I mean, everyone knew what shooting stars looked like. Everyone knew what meteors looked like. And I don't think there's any, uh, especially trained military personnel, but I don't think there's any chance that um, what these people were seeing were stars. Yeah, it seems pretty far-fetched to me. It seems like that's a convenient explanation or common thing that you might have mistaken it for, but it doesn't just picturing it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, especially if they're seeing a move around or. Right. You know, right. Um, and I've seen shooting stars or meteors or whatever you want to call them. I've seen them like meteor showers up on Palomar mountain before. And it's, it's, <clears throat> it's really moving and it's really interesting. And it's, uh, it, it's not something you see every day, seeing something streak across the sky, but I have never seen an orange like fireball type thing hovering over anything that is just uh that's outside the realm right there as far as i'm concerned yeah um let's see here well i've seen um I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser gate. <laughs> All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. End quote. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, that was bad. I thought you were cooking up something, man. I saw this little, I saw the grinchy smile on your face, and I thought you were typing something. So I'm glad <laughs> you quoted from, Mr. Mr. Rutger Hauer, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Nordic himself, Mr. Rutger Hauer from Blade Runner. Great movie if you haven't seen it, but I'm sure most people have seen it that are listening here. Um, I don't know. We got yeah, a lot of listeners. I think that's a good point, and um, I'm going to throw that in the notes if I can find it here. I'll, I'll do the research after we're done recording, but I want to throw that that Russian uh, meteorite or meteor yeah. uh, video in there because that that's really interesting. It's it's great. That is cool. Like I mean, can you and this the proliferation of dash cams and everything now. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a heck of a way to start your day to see something like that, or a heck of a way to end your day to see a big bluish or greenish piece of metal streaking through the sky right have you seen the ones where it's like blowing windows out and knocking yep. people over and stuff i too? sure have it's yeah crazy. that's a good idea man please link those um well there were also witnesses who claimed to see structured craft and not merely glows or bright lights on july 19th an army artillery officer joseph gigandet was sitting on the front porch of his home in Alexandria, Virginia, across the Potomac River from Washington. Um, at 9.30 p.m., he claimed to see a, quote, red cigar-shaped object, which sailed slowly over his house. Uh, Gigandet, or Gigandet, probably Gigandet, huh? How do you spell that? How, how are all these words? <laughs> <laughs> so we can't get any Jones and Johnsons. Right. Here, um, go ahead. G- how do you- uh, Giga, G-I-G-A-N-D-E-T. And Gigande? I guess. Um, yeah. Um, we'll call them gigs. Yeah. Um, Gigande estimated the object size as comparable to a DC-7 airplane at about 10,000 feet altitude. Uh, He also claimed that the object had a, quote, series of lights very closely set together on its sides. 
The object eventually flew back over his house a second time, which led Day to assume that it was circling the area. When the object flew away a second time, it turned a deeper red color and moved over the city of Washington itself. This occurred less than two hours before Edward Nugent first spotted the unknown objects on his radar at Washington National. Dr. And James we all know Nugent. what happened to Mr. Nugent after that. Oh, man, you're cutting out. Correct. What did, did you, you say? Not- I said, and we all know what happened to Mr. Nugent after that. What's that? He got the cat scratch fever. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Nugent, Motor City Madman. But um, Dr. James E. McDonald, a physicist at the University of Arizona and a prominent ufologist in the 1960s, did his own analysis of the Washington sightings, including speaking with four pilots and five radar personnel who were involved in the 1952 Washington incident. I'm getting angry now. McDonald, <laughs> McDonald discussed his conclusions before the Committee on Science and Aero, uh, Astronautics of the U.S. House of Representatives. He told the committee that the temperature inversion theory used to explain the unknown radar traces was quite untenable and that, in his opinion, the 1952 Washington UFO incident was a, uh, quote, an instance of unidentified aerial objects over our capital. Howard Cochran who was interviewed by McDonald about the incident, told a Washington Post reporter in 2002 that he was still convinced that he saw an object over Washington National. I saw it on the radar screen and out the window. It was a whitish-blue object, not a light, a solid form, a saucer-shaped object. Um, not unlike I'm, the headphones that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you catch all that? I did. We're cutting out. Okay, good. Yeah, sorry, sorry about the the quality here, guys. This, uh, I th- I think it might be my Wi-Fi that is not too strong. Hoping to upgrade it here in the future. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You sorry. all, you all deserve better, and this is what we're doing, and this is what we're bringing to you. But I feel like I'm 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 not, you know, I'm breaking up. Uh, we mentioned earlier too that uh. You know, we're doing this over Skype, obviously, and um, I hooked up a mic to try and get some better audio quality, but I'm I'm afraid it might have been a little breathy. I put a I put a uh, a pop filter on here, so um, hopefully it's a little better now. But uh, oh, I got yeah. I got microphone envy now, man. I just <laughs> you, you're sounding pretty sweet, Grant. I can't I can't hear anything. I can't hear my legs. <laughs> um, so the the last thing is just a a little. Uh, a little section on the Robertson panel. Again, this is all from uh, Wikipedia, um, which I I think it just did a good job of, you know, concisely bringing all these sources together and telling the story. Um, but the the Robertson panel, um, the extremely high numbers of UFO reports in 1952 disturbed both the Air Force and the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA. Both groups felt that an enemy nation could deliberately flood the U.S. with false UFO reports, causing mass panic and allowing them to launch a sneak attack. On September 24, 1952, the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence sent a memorandum to Walter B. Smith, the CIA's director. The memo stated that, quote, the flying saucer situation has national security implications. In the public concern with the phenomena lies the potential for the touching off of mass hysteria and panic, end quote. The result of the memorandum was the creation in January 1953 of the Robertson Panel, 
Dr. Howard P. Robertson, a physicist, chaired the panel, which consisted of prominent scientists and which spent four days examining the quote-unquote best UFO cases collected by Project Blue Book. The panel dismissed nearly all of the UFO cases it examined and uh, as not representing anything unusual or threatening to national security. In the panel's controversial estimate, the Air Force and Project Blue Book needed to spend less time analyzing and studying UFO reports and more time publicly debunking them. The panel recommended that the Air Force and Project Blue Book should take steps to, quote, strip the unidentified flying objects of the special status they have been given and the aura of mystery or aura of mystery that have unfortunately acquired. End quote. Following the panel's recommendation, Project Blue Book would rarely publicize any UFO cases that it had not labeled as solved. Unsolved cases were rarely mentioned by the Air Force. Um, so that brings us basically to where we are today from, you know, over 50 years ago. Um, I think that was mentioned in that uh, mystery <clears throat> uh, documentary, too, right? Didn't it start off talking about the Robertson panel? And I think it did. Yes. Yes. Um, God, that's almost, that's almost 70 years ago, man. Yeah, Can you believe kidding. that? No. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. It does. Um, I want to fly like an eagle. And um, so I got I got one one last update to this story um, from our buddies over at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And um, you know, basically, they give a lot, almost word word for word from the Wikipedia. It looked like to me. Um, Let's see. You know what? I think this is basically the Wikipedia one. Or did Wikipedia uh, link to MUFON? Which one is it? I, well, the Wikipedia one has all its sources and stuff. And uh, are the sources linked to MUFON? No. Oh. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe uh, MUFON just, just lifted it off, straight off of... Uh, <laughs> move move can't be doing that let me oh, see you can't if you cite it no it's a i'm sorry it's it is a little different here so i'm sorry if it's any repeat information i should have checked this more carefully but um yeah i mean maybe they're maybe they're sourcing it from the same source oh this article retrieved from Wikipedia it says at the bottom of MUFON. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe Wikipedia has just been uh, updated a little bit since. Um, all right. Well, I guess we won't go over that. Um, but uh, yeah, McDonald argued that the Air Force explanation was physically impossible. Um, Harry Barnes told McDonald that the radar targets, quote, were not shapeless blobs such as one gets from ground returns and anomalous propagation, and that he was certain the unknown radar blips were solid targets. Howard Cochlin agreed with Barnes. So, there you go. <laughs> I'm not sure if I read that already. No. Um, okay, well, I guess that, that kind of brings us to my last resource here. I, I kind of did a quick and dirty here, but we had a we had a big segment on the UFO news and stuff. This is an old story, you know, so there's not a lot of not a new information coming out about it or anything. Um, so obviously the air the Air Force kind of debunked this, even though there seems like there's a lot of credible witnesses and radar returns, you know. Yeah. Um, 
but I, the main reason I thought it was so cool is because I thought, like I was saying before, the picture of the lights around, around the White House were from that incident, you know. Um, but I found um, it's a, a website called Blue Blurry Lines, and uh, basically it's it's titled a uh, photo fakery, Washington D.C. flying saucers, 1952. Um, there's no author credited here. Um, the website seems to be by Kurt Collins, though, so maybe he's the one that did it. Um, regardless, uh, so there's a lot of interesting stuff. You can find that, that picture here, a lot of different versions of it, but, um, it, it says, uh, the flying saucers reported over Washington Washington, D.C. in 1952 is one of the most famous events in UFO history. Objects tracked on radar and Air Force planes were sent out to investigate and reportedly UFOs were seen by at least one pilot and radar operator. Um, it's an important historical event worthy of an examination, but there are rumors and myths, too, such as it being widely, widely witnessed by panicking citizens or that photos exist of the event. Uh, let's see here. So in 1965, over a decade after the events, a photograph was published and ever since has appeared in almost every discussion and article on the Washington, D.C. case from books to the Internet, documentaries and television shows. The trouble is it's a phony. Oh, nuts. Well, the photo itself is real, but it is misrepresented and fraudulently fraudulently used then accepted and repeated as genuine by people who should have known better it was taken several years after the event and instead of ufos it depicts the reflection of the capitol's lamps lens flares oh man it's almost as if you know you just repeat a lie gets repeated so often that it becomes the truth right and you can you can see here um yeah, it basically looks like a, a reverse image of some of the lamps that are around the. Uh, here, let me let me send you the link real quick if you want to check it. Please do. Kind of interesting, and they actually it shows a lot of different versions of the photo being used in like Flying Saucers, the magazine in 1973, and it they even crop out the original lamps in that picture for the cover, so it seems like they know what they're doing. You know, it could just be that they were zooming in on those, but it. Seems a little uh, little shady there. Um, but at the bottom, you can see... Um, I just sent it to you. All right. Did you, send it to my, did you send it to my email or my... Uh, oh, no, there it is. Oh, I see it. Oh, I see it, buddy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, there's quite a big breakdown of... Uh, you know, you can... Basically, they, they they draw lines from the lamps and, and where they cross at the focal point of the of the lens. And uh, it's basically just a reversed image of the lights. Right. So um, oh, not much nuts. more to be said about that. But it makes sense, you know. And they, yeah, which is too bad. That is too bad. But, you know, that, does, that all that does is it takes away from... Uh, if there is any truth value to this, which I think there is, uh, just takes away from that and gives people ammunition to say, well, this photo was faked. Therefore the entire incident was, uh, 
was a was a hoax. Right. <laughs> the um, I mean, yeah, it's still still a pretty interesting story there, you know. And the the picture came after the story, but uh, it, it is disappointing because that's like I said, that was kind of why I was interested in this story, um, just because that photograph does pop up next to every mission yeah. of it. It's like, oh, that's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh well. What can you do? Reality bites, man. The world may never know. Yeah. So we're going to leave this case open. I don't know why, man, but I believe it. Yeah. It's um, on the, on the, on the compelometer. I think it's pretty compelling. I wish I could know. Um, I'll have to do like when, when was the battle of Los Angeles? You familiar with that? Like the rage against the machine album. Yeah, what was that? Ninety. That was ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's um. Oh, that was in nineteen forty two. I don't know. It's that again. A famous photograph of the uh, all the lamps shining up at what looks like a flying saucer, and um, basically this craft flew into uh, around L.A. and was shelled heavily by the military yes i have i think i heard i have heard just bits and pieces about that but i was always thinking it might be a cool to do an episode on that but there's there's not much to it more than that you know i mean you can get into the nitty-gritty of that but um basically it comes down to the photo of it uh maybe i'll i'll go ahead and post a link to uh an article or a picture of that too but um Anyway, I was hoping that was the same year, and I was trying to connect it with, like, uh, when my grandma saw those craft. I mean, I, I have no idea what year that would have been, but maybe around 1952? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, another mysterious story, which people can shrug off easily with commonplace explanations, but it doesn't really seem to add up to all the claims but then again the rumor mill once it gets going there ain't no stopping it so yeah it churns and churns man but once i like i've said man when you look at things in the aggregate um i think this is uh this is among the more compelling or at least it has a uh, the chance to be one of the more compelling that we've covered so far yeah all right man well um I want to say thank you to everyone out there in podcast land. Like I said, try and be well. What like Tom was saying, uh, try and be patient with us as we work out uh, our new scheduling and trying to schedule the recordings and releases of the show moving forward. Um, might be a little bit of a gap, but we're going to try and keep it consistent. You know. Yeah, it shouldn't be more than a week, uh, if that. So, I'm uh, I'm actually going to be um, potentially uh, taking the helm at writing some of these. So. Uh, this should be a nice little, little, little switch. Little give Grant some, some breathing, and uh, uh, let me let me uh, steer the ship. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'll, um, that'll be interesting for me. You know, it'll be cool. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Take care of yourselves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry for the delay on this episode, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Take care, guys. Love you. Love you guys. Mwah.
Thank you.